Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another Thursday night edition of BAMS Radio. I'm Thomas Watts, and I'll be your host for the evening. Unfortunately, Drew DeArmond is continuing to uh, get jobs and cover things and be a reporter, whereas I'm just doing graduate school stuff. Obviously, my board has been completely berserk and will not turn off the fight song because reasons. Thank you, Blog Talk. But we've got a great show for you this evening. We've got, you know, first hour will be William Redfish Barger. He and I will be talking everything LSU. Obviously, big game this upcoming weekend against the Tigers and Death Valley. So we're going to get a pick William's brain, get a little report from the uh, bye week, some of the stuff he might have heard coming out of that bye week, things like Tony Brown being the nickel defensive back, stuff like that. And uh, I have to be honest, listeners, I'm a little tired of the LSU hype, and I'm going to try and get William uh, get William a little fired up about the let's just call it the situation, the the recent unpleasantness with LSU being Alabama's toughest test. But that's only hour number one. Hour number two, uh, Drew D. Armand was nice enough to provide us with some audio of an interview he did with both Will Lowry and with Chad Laborde, Chad Laborde of 104.5 in Baton Rouge. He's going to give the LSU side of the conversation and, uh, you know, let everyone know. I realize that Alabama fans folks in Alabama, and that's okay, but we're going to get the LSU side of the coin from Mr. Laborde, and Will Lowry's going to... I have to have a chance to listen to that audio. He's going to tell us a little bit about his experience playing under the lights in Death Valley, you know, where dreams go to die or what other superlatives you want to throw out there. But I want to say this. If you happen to be listening live, give us a call at 714-510-3707. If you have a question for William, I'll even get you on the air. But uh, here's what i got to do, and I hate having to do this every time, but when I'm wearing the producer's hat and the host hat, I've got to play some music to get William on the line. So I'm going to play, uh, let's see, Sweet Home Alabama is, is one of those one of those classics. You know, not, I don't, not oldies, but goodies, but just go with goodies. And uh, I'll get Redfish on the line, and we will go into the first hour. We will be right back with Redfish on BAM's radio. One, two,
And we are back with uh, BAMS Radio. Uh, I figure, you know, in my mind, playing Sweet Home Alabama is a pretty good, uh, pretty good interlude while I'm doing my production duties in between my being a host. But my host, being being the producer, has borne fruit. I am joined by William Redfish Barger, 1992 champion, national champion, wears a lot of rings, knows a lot of football stuff. Fish, how you doing this evening? Doing good, Thomas. How are you, buddy? Man, if if I can if I can get this uh, this production and hosting thing down, we will be stupendiferous. I'll put it to you that way. Good deal. But you know, I, let, let's just get right into it, William. You know, obviously, as if, unless you've lived under a rock, Alabama had a bye week last week, and a lot of the scuttlebutt or a lot of the hope was guys like a Jalen Hurts would take a step forward or. Guys like uh, Damian Harris, who Nick Saban said had some some little leg injuries, would get healthy. You you know, what have you heard about Alabama's relative health coming out of this bye week? Well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the the two obvious ones that jump out is, you know, Bo Scarborough had a little bit of a a stomach bug this week, which I don't think that's going to impact his uh, availability for the LSU game. But, you know, the only other thing that, you know, kind of came out of the off week was B.J. Emmons has a, uh, you know, undisclosed foot injury. And, you know, when you see Nick Saban say um, that he's out indefinitely, you know, to me that screams uh, high ankle sprain or maybe even a broken bone um, when you see him kind of put the uh, out indefinitely label on it. But other than those two guys, which – I don't think, you know, Bo's status is going to factor into this weekend. Um, you know, and Emmons is kind of way down the pecking order at running back. I think Alabama, you know, is going into this game against LSU pretty healthy. That's a good spot to be in. And, and you know, Redfish, one of the big storylines, and I'm not sure I buy into this, but uh, how this this game, not any of the ones before it, was the first real test for this Alabama defense. I can only assume because this is the first time that Alabama's defense has played a traditional run-first pro-style offense this year. I don't really know. But do you buy into that that absurdity? I find it kind of ridiculous myself. But what about you? No, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, they played a, a pro-style offense against USC in the first game of the year. Um, you know, they played a – you know, even though they, they kind of segued into a, uh, you know, more of a pass-happy offense, they played into a pro-style offense against Arkansas. Uh, you know, I think what a lot of people are talking about, and, and you know, I think this is, you know, the people that kind of, you know, have, you know, what I call Bama fatigue are missing in this boat is, you know, since Auburn and LSU played, uh, back in September, um, you know, both programs were trending in the wrong direction. And, you know, since that, you know, miracle in Jordan hair, you know, was over with, you know, both programs, you know, fr- from a media standpoint have, you know, gotten a lot of kudos. But if you look at what both programs have played, and I'm only going to focus on what LSU has done, you know, Auburn's, you know, later on down, you know, in the month. Um, you know, Ed Ogeron has not won a single football game that Les Miles wouldn't have won if he hadn't have been fired. You know, they played uh, Southern Miss, uh, Old Miss, you know, 
it's it's just uh, you know what I like to call a paper tiger, and uh, you know I think they're going to experience a huge uptick in competition Saturday. You know from this Alabama team. Um, you know if you go back and look at what happened last year, uh, the interior of that of that LSU offensive line. Uh, specifically their center, who they were touting as a Remington uh, trophy candidate last year, and Ethan Posick. You know, he was not able last year to handle Deron Payne as a true freshman. Um, You know, people talk about uh, that Alabama defense last year derailing uh, Leonard Fournette's Heisman Trophy uh, campaign. But, you know, Deron Payne really derailed two you know, trophy campaigns. He derailed Ethan Posick's Remington campaign, and because he was so disruptive, uh, blowing the interior of that LSU offensive line backwards, he derailed two trophy campaigns. And, you know, common sense dictates that if Ethan Posick wasn't able to handle Deron Payne last year as a true freshman, how is he going to be able to handle him after Deron Payne has been in arguably the best college strength and conditioning program for the last year. Um, I I just don't buy it. Um, You know, I appreciate the, uh, um, you know, argumentative line that Vegas has put out at seven to eight and a half points. But I, I think that this Alabama football team is 14 to 17 points better than the LSU football team that are going to play Saturday night in Baton Rouge. Well, that, that actually fits in with something that came out, I believe, yesterday with Joe Tessitore stated that he's been talking to some SEC coaches, and it was unnamed SEC coaches, so grain of salt, but he said it, the SEC coaches think that Alabama is a two-touchdown two favorite, or should be. They're two touchdowns better. So, you know, I, I'll buy that, but, you know, Fish, I have to ask because I have been sucked into this debate, and it kind of it kind of makes my head hurt that I actually have to ask you this. But I'm gonna get your get your opinion on it. There have been a group, of, let's just call it a group of people, that have pushed the idea that the LSU offensive line is better than the Alabama offensive line. So I ask you, which offensive line group would you take? Bama's or LSU's going into this game? Well, number one, I think what you have to do is, is, you know, peel the layers of an onion back. And if you look at how the LSU offensive line has been constructed, um, you know, it's been constructed by Les Miles, obviously. You know, that's the guy that's, you know, been there for for 10 years. Um, It was constructed to, uh, you know, be an elite run-blocking unit. if you look at what they did um, versus really the only, you know, legitimate SEC defensive front seven that they played against Auburn, uh, they weren't very effective. Um, I think both tackles um, are susceptible to uh, edge rushers, which Alabama has and Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson. Um, you know, I, and I think that, for LSU to have a degree of success against this uh, Alabama team Saturday night, that they've got to be very effective on first down. They can't afford to get behind the the chains on first down. So how do you make that happen? 
well, you, you throw the ball. Um, you know, you, you're not going to have success running Leonard Fournette against Alabama's base defense where Deron Payne, um, you know, is at nose guard and Jonathan Allen is slid down. And then they've got Ryan Anderson and Tim Williams there. Um, so you've got to be effective throwing the ball on first down, and I just don't think they can do that. You know, if this transfer from Purdue, um, Etling, you know, can do that, then it's going to be the first time he's done it all year. But I think if you go back and you look at it and, and look at the products that LSU has played since that Auburn game, um, you know, it's very easy to improve and show uh, you know, better stats when you play, you know, Southern Miss. Um, you know, you saw the game Saturday night, Thomas, between Auburn and Old Miss when Old Miss had three, sometimes four, backup offensive linemen in the game. Um, so, you know, I, I just don't see where um, this LSU team has gone up against better competition than what they saw back in September in that loss at Jordan-Hare Stadium versus Auburn. And they're going to see a huge uptick in competition, um, you know, with Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Ryan Anderson, and Tim Williams Saturday night. No, I, I would agree to that. I think that's completely fair. You, you know, Fish, you know, keeping on this defensive theme so far, just uh, – Obviously, we Alabama lost Eddie Jackson to an unfortunate injury, and the the early returns are Tony Brown at nickel and Mika Fitzpatrick at uh, safety. But you know, what do you think of Tony Brown as the nickel defensive back, or do you see kind of Alabama shuffling it around and seeing what works on uh, Saturday night? You know, I think you might see some shuffling around. I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, moving Mika Fitzpatrick. Mika Fitzpatrick to, uh, you know, Eddie Jackson's permanent role makes perfect sense. Um, you know, he's got the size, he's got the length, he's got the speed to sit back there and, and play center field. He, he's, you know, 18 months basically from a, a football schedule anyway um, into incorporating himself into this Alabama defense. So he knows the calls. Um, he knows what's expected of him. Um, you know, I think you would see – um, you know, when they go nickel, um, you'll see Minka back there at, at free safety, Tony Brown, um, you know, at the star position. You know, when they go dime, I think you'll see Hootie Jones come in. Um, and I just don't know how much you'll see those looks because, you know, at the end of the day, I still think uh, this LSU uh, coaching staff feels like they can line up in a pro set with a fullback in front of Leonard Fournette. And I expect to see them, uh, you know, test Alabama's front seven early and often. And, you know, again, uh, if, if, if LSU or I'll even, you know, hit the fast forward button to Auburn, um, if, if LSU fans or Auburn fans think that, you know, Reuben Foster or Sean Dion Hamilton – are scared to hit Leonard Fournette or Cameron Petway in the hole, please run it over and over again. You're going to see a bad, broken record for your football team. I agree. I think that there was, there was an interesting quote that came out that, you know, Cameron Petway defenses are afraid to tackle me. 
Um, yeah, sure. Let me know how that works out for you. But, you know, I, I, we're, we're talking a lot about the Alabama defense. So I actually want to jump to the Alabama offense again. I know we're jumping around a little, so, you know, just bear with me. Just a hoot. That's okay, Thomas. <laughs> so I think we both agree that this, this Leonard Fournette to run wild on Alabama storyline a, a bit much. So I, I guess let's put it on its head. Obviously, LSU's running defense is solid as they come. So, so does Alabama have success running on this LSU front? Well, I mean, I think, Thomas, you have to look at who they've had success running against. You know, this is a two-loss team. They've lost to Wisconsin, and they lost to Auburn. And if you look at, you know, the numbers, um, they they did not have – you know, and again, I understand that was back when, you know, Les Miles was the head coach when they lost those two ball games. But, you know, at the end of the day, your team is who your team is. And and I think that Alabama is better than you know. Th- this is where I think the both programs has kind of gone into opposite directions. I think when Nick Saban took over Alabama in 2007, the the reason that you know they they struggled a little bit against LSU was that LSU was better on both sides of the line of scrimmage in Alabama for a couple of years. But because of the recruiting classes, I think that has shifted over to an advantage for Alabama. And, you know, I I think they're better than LSU on both sides of the ball, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I think you'll see this. To me, Thomas, this game Saturday night looks identical to me. Um, to what people were saying when Alabama went to Neyland Stadium, um, you know, earlier in October. Um, and it certainly looks remarkably just like against Texas A&M two weeks ago. And I expect a little bit of a struggle um, in the first half. Now, this is where things could become interesting. Uh do, do you get four shots in the red zone as the Alabama offense did against Texas A&M and you kick field goals? Certainly you've got a very good defense, in my mind, the best defense in college football backing you up. But if you score four touchdowns and it's 28 to, let's just say, 10 going into halftime, that's one ball game. Um, if you stutter and, and, and fail in the red zone and you kick field goals and it's 13 to 7, you know, then you've got a different ball game. But, but I just think that over the course of four quarters, um, Alabama is better than this LSU team on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I expect it to be a pretty close ball game through the first two and a half quarters. But I expect Alabama to pull this thing out and uh, win convincingly in the fourth quarter. So you're thinking a game much like, uh, I think, now three years ago in Tuscaloosa where it's A.J. McCarron's final year, close game, close game, close game, and then Alabama hits the afterburners in the second half? Are you talking about when Mettenberger crawled off the field game? Yes, the, the Mettenberger yes, turf that's eating exactly, that's exactly how I see it. Um, uh, you know, especially when you look at it versus Alabama's front seven versus LSU. Um, you know, 
you know, they, they've gotten rid of the dynamic quarterback that could escape quarterback pressure. You know, they've got the Purdue transfer in there, uh, uh, Etling. Um, he is a, a pretty solid quarterback, but he is a uh, a big target back there. And I, I just don't see this, this LSU offensive line, especially if, if, if the defense of Jeremy Pruitt can dial up plays to get them into second and long, third and long, where, you know, guys like Ryan Anderson and Tim Williams can tee off and go after the quarterback. If, if that's the case, if that's how it plays out, um, it's going to be a long night for LSU in their own stadium. Well, Redfish, I have to tell you just a brief story, and I hope our listeners will indulge. I'm in a fantasy football league, and the commissioner is a huge LSU fan, and we totally have an icon bet. So if uh, Alabama should win, he's flying a 21-0 uh, icon throughout the rest of the fantasy football season. So I hope it, work- I, I hope it works out the way you described <laughs> But I have a few guys in, the, in our little chat room, and this is from Play Like a Champion. He, he's kicking me questions as we're chatting. And uh, he wants to know, you know, going back to the Alabama offensive line, uh, particularly along the interior, how do you think the interior offensive line has looked, you know, particularly since Lester Cotton has become the starter due to Alphonse Taylor's concussion? I think it's looked better. Um, you know, not that Alphonse Taylor was doing a bad job, um, but, you know, there, there was always the, uh, you know, the false starts, um, you know, some holding calls there. Um, I just think that Lester Cotton, you know, has a lot more upside than Alphonse Taylor does. And, you know, I, I'm appreciative of, you know, Nick Saban and Brent Key and Mario Cristobal for, you know, giving Lester the opportunity to do what he's done. And, again, uh, you know, obviously that concussion that Alphonse Taylor got, um, you know, almost a month ago um, was more serious than we all thought, or he still wouldn't be under a concussion protocol. But, you know, I just think that if you look at what's, you know, what, what's going on here, Thomas, is, you know, I think it's, you know, to be quite honest with you, this is why I get, you know, dinged by my own fan base for not being enough of a homer. But when you look at this, um, you know, Nick Saban going all the way back to 2012 when, you know, Johnny Menzel, you know, fumbled the ball, picked it up, threw the ball in the end zone, um, and made that touchdown pass to pick off the 2012 team. Um, you know, especially after the uh, the kick six game against Auburn. You saw Nick Saban come out and kind of, you know, he lashed out and said, you know, hey, I don't like this. And, and you know, um, you know, he says, I don't like this. To me, that says, you know, hey, I'm having a damn tough time figuring out how to stop this. And, you know, that happened. And he brought in Lane Kiffin. I think in year one, they kind of, you know, got a, you know, a little bit of a, 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 a taste of it with Blake Sims. Um, and you saw him you know, be able to make plays with his feet, you know, go back to last year with Jake Coker. Um, you know, he, he wasn't a, a quick twitch guy, but, you know, he was able to make plays with his arm, you know, down the stretch. Um, I think post-Tennessee, you know, into LSU-Auburn, you know, going through the playoffs. But 
I think you saw Nick Saban basically say, you know what, I'm sick and tired of trying to figure out how to defend this stuff. I'm going to go out there and find guys that I can do and put the onus on the other team. And that's what he's done. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that think that, you know, this this atmosphere in Tiger Stadium Saturday night might be more than than Jalen Hurts can handle. But he's already gone to Oxford, um, you know, got down by 24 points, brought him back and won the game. He's gone to Neyland Stadium, done it up there. Um, And this is what all my old uh, LSU people are are saying to me is, um, you know, we think it could be a a close ball game, but if Jalen Hurts rocks and rolls, it could get out of hand real quickly. And that's kind of how I'm looking at this game, Thomas. And I think that's kind of how, you know, people have to look at it and say, um, you know, they haven't played anybody. They haven't played anybody in the last month and a half. And so I think when Alabama shows up down there Saturday night, that there's a huge uptick in competition. Um, LSU cannot replicate that in practice. Um, you know, is there some sort of, uh, you know, danger factor there where, you know, this Etling kid has his, you know, Steven Garcia, you know, Trevor Knight at Oklahoma moment. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. But, you know, I just don't know how um, liberal the the LSU coaches are going to say, you know, go do that. But I just think when you break it all down and you look at the numbers and the statistics, I'm a huge stats guy. Um, I just think that this Alabama team is two touchdowns better than LSU. Well, no, again, I think that's that's fair, and there you're not the only person that's been saying that. So, you know, if, if mob mentality is a thing, there's certainly a group that, uh, that that agrees with you. You know, we are talking to William Redfish Barger on the Sunbelt Inflatable Tents Hotline. Give Billy a call at Sunbelt Inflatable Tents for all of your inflatable tent tailgate needs. You know, funny story, fish. I was I had to go to a tailgate for South Alabama this past week. I didn't even get a bye week. It was miserable, and. Uh, I definitely tried to sell some tents for to to my college, so you know that probably was you know stealing from Peter to pay Paul, but you know it's one of those things. <laughs> but you know, going back to the Alabama football team, you know, we've talked about Eddie Jackson's replacement with on the defense. Uh, what do you think? It, a lot of the rumors that I've read are Garrick Dieter being the punt returner to take the place of Eddie Jackson. Can you shed some light on that situation for us? I think that's certainly possibly a, a possibility. Um, you know, I still think that, uh, you know, Xavier Marks is in play there, maybe even Trevon Diggs. But, you know, if you go out there, you know, Saturday night and you see Garrett Dieter, I don't think you should be surprised by that. He's a, you know, a sure-handed guy. You know, he's 6'3", 215 pounds. You know, runs a legit four five forty. I mean, I'm not trying to say he's Eddie Jackson, um, but, you know, he could be a viable replacement for him. Um, but, you know, Thomas, I think the, the the one thing that, you know, could sum all this conversation up and, and you know, people want to talk about it and speculate about it, but this is the SEC. It's a line of scrimmage league. And if you go back and you look at, 
you know, the last five meetings where Alabama has the edge over LSU, the reason they've won those five games is because Alabama has been better than LSU on both sides of the ball at the line of scrimmage. And I don't think this matchup Saturday night is going to be any different than that. Certainly, I certainly hope so. Again, going for the 21-0 fantasy football icon. That's the plan. But, you know, some of the – I'm getting some questions about recruiting fish. So uh, let's shift gears there just briefly. I promise we will uh, go back to the game a little bit. But uh, someone in the chat wants to know how you feel uh, about Alabama's chances with T.D. Moultrie. Um, you know – that, that's a very good question. Um, you know, I think that's an issue that, you know, number one, I don't think Alabama handled that situation very well back in the spring. Um, they could have had TD Mulstrey. Um, you know, they kind of slow played him, and, you know, he committed to Auburn. And, you know, again, back in September when, you know, Auburn lost those two games. Um, you know, he wanted to flip, um, and he wanted to flip real hard. But, you know, that they've rectified that situation on their side of the ball. Um, I think that's a long uphill battle um, for Alabama, you know, to flip T.D. Moultrie based on Auburn's improvement. Um, they've got a better depth chart at linebacker for early playing time. So, you know, my answer to that question is, um, if you'd asked me that in May, um, you know, when T.D. Moultrie wanted to commit to Alabama, I would have said, yeah, he's coming. But now, you know, th- that ball's kind of shifted a little bit, and I think it's a-, a big uphill battle for Alabama to flip T.D. Moultrie. Well, and I feel like you're going to get this question only a hundred more times, but it's worth asking because he is considered so elite. There's some, uh, let's just call it some consternation with Najee Harris. Is that consternation well-founded? I believe he might have, there's this scuttlebutt out that he has to come to the Iron Bowl to make sure we keep him. What, What are your thoughts on Harris? No, I do think there's some legitimate concern there. Um, you know, Lane Kiffin and Tosh Lapoy went out there and watched him play last week. I, you know, I, I do think there was a bit of a tactical error um, on, on Nick Saban's part. Um, he probably should have gotten on the plane and gone out there with him. Um, that being said, I, I do still feel like um, that kid is a little bit different than your average five-star recruit. And, you know, Thomas, we're talking about a guy that's probably the best running back prospect since Adrian Peterson. Um, And I go back to, you know, the same stuff that, um, you know, I talked about when he committed, you know, almost two years ago. Um, You know, he committed to Alabama in 2015. And he got to sit there and watch – Alabama win a national championship. Um, He got to watch Lane Kiffin feature Derrick Henry as the feature player in that offense. You know, the year before it was Amari Cooper, a wide receiver. 
but he got to watch Lane Kiffin feature, you know, Derrick Henry in that offense, you know, 28, 32, 42, you know, whatever the touches were, uh, Lane Kiffin gave the ball to Derrick Henry. You know, he won the Heisman Trophy, and that team won the national championship. Um, I think Najee Harris is a prospect that loves the challenge. Um, He wants to be the alpha on his team. Um, Now, could he go to Michigan and be the you know the the big the big guy on campus quicker than he could at Alabama? Absolutely. But I expect Najee Harris to uh, sign with Alabama and become an early enrollee. You know we're only uh, uh, let's see another week away, sixty less than sixty days away from all these early enrollees having to declare and uh, come to campus. But I expect Najee Harris to be a part of this recruiting class for Alabama. That that, that that's good to hear. I'll be honest. Uh, I have I watching his film is almost hilarious. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Murph Baldwin, got to see him live because Murph works for Rivals, and he just raved about him. So uh, that that's good news. Well, you know, Thomas, back I'll to, tell you. I, let, 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 let me say this. Um, you know. Because I think this is where Alabama's recruiting class is. You know, if they do lose Najee Harris, I do feel very confident that they can pick up Cam Akers, who is considered the second best running back um, in this recruiting class behind Najee Harris. Now, he is not a generational running back prospect like Najee is, but he's pretty salty himself. But I will say this. If Alabama can get Najee Harris or Cam Akers to go along with the uh, nine returning starters that they have coming back after this year on offense, which are, you know, includes, you know, Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, uh, Damian Harris, Jonah Williams, all those guys. They will have the most prolific offense that college football has ever seen. Well, uh, we we have sp- we have said exactly that on this program several times. That offense would return either nine or ten starters, and uh, depending on if Cam Robinson declares as uh, everyone assumes he will at the end of this upcoming season, and that's 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 a vis- yeah. I'm just. Uh, Leaving the door open. <laughs> <laughs> no, I look. I, I wish he wouldn't, but he will. Okay, that's that, that's fair. And, and you can't. It's hard for me to begrudge a guy who's put in three years at left tackle and been pretty solid throughout. But uh, so you're talking about returning nine starters and adding that. And yeah, I could certainly see that. I think the only reason that Alabama wouldn't challenge for the all-time points record is Nick Saban would get up forty-five to fourteen and just send in the nosebleed section to get some reps, which. I'm okay with, unsurprisingly. <laughs> so, you know, Fish, going back to this current iteration of the Crimson Tide, and th- this is a guy, I want to get your thoughts on a guy who I think has been, I wouldn't call him an unsung hero, let's call him an unsung solid player. Well, what are your thoughts on Anthony Averett for this Alabama secondary? 
I think he's done a great job. Um, you know, I think a lot of guys, you know, kind of thought that he was going to be the weak link. Um, you know, he, he you know, you got to remember, you know, he's got a guy that's a, a future first-round draft pick on the other side of the field in him, in Marlon Humphrey. Uh, but I think he's done a great job. He's improved every week. Um, you know, I think that's one of the the great things about this Alabama defense is, you know, th- th- they hit you so hard and so fast. You have to, you, know, you have to record the games to kind of keep up with all these guys. Uh, but you know, Anthony Averett's a guy that, you know, Thomas when he was a senior in high school, and I saw his film, uh, you know, I kind of liken it to uh, Minka Fitzpatrick's film. Um, you know, he was a he was a wildcat quarterback and you know, he was getting the ball snapped to him directly and you know, he was running all over people and you know I, we're all guilty as Alabama fans, especially, you know, after one number one recruiting class after another, we expect these guys to, you know, step up and play a big role probably sooner than they're actually ready you know, ready to play them. But, you know, I think Anthony Averitt has done a great job. Um, he's becoming a cover corner. Um, it's his, I think, third year on campus. And he's making a you know, play to being a, a guy that's got a chance to be a first-round draft pick if you put the, you know, the, the scouting stuff that the people say um, that he's got. But, you know, great kid. Um, he's put the time in with the program. And you have to tip your hat to him. Yeah, absolutely. I've been thoroughly impressed with what Averett has done. And, you know, really, he's a big part of what I think has been a fantastic defense. But Alabama was the, has been the focal point of a bunch of conversation that in some ways has caught me by surprise, and I, I, I'm getting ready for the show. I'm reading whatever I can read about Alabama football that I might have missed. And one of the storylines coming out of this first uh, first college football playoff, you know, even Bill Hancock, the chairman of the college football playoff committee, said Alabama is essentially head and shoulders above everybody. I, you know, how do you, how do you like? What's your reaction as both a former player and a fan? When you see commentary like that, I, I know Alabama's good, but that's almost hard to believe. Well, I, I think you have to, uh, you know, number one, take it into perspective, but number two, I think you have to, uh, you know, take it in to, to what he's saying. And, you know, he feels like that everybody that Alabama plays is you know that they're two touchdowns better than them, and um, you know look at look at the path last year. Um, you know they they played Florida in the the Southeastern Conference Championship game. You know that wasn't really a game. Um, you know they played Michigan State that first you know bowl game that wasn't a game. Where they got caught was with a very very dynamic quarterback against Clemson. And, uh, you know, I think you have to look at that thing. And, uh, you know, there's a different defensive coordinator, obviously. Uh, You know, it's Jeremy Pruitt now. It's not Kirby Smart anymore. And, uh, you know, look at how that all played out. 
And, uh, you know, there's a, I think, a, a real tug of war, I guess, as far as it's concerned, um, with what's going on in college football right now. You have to look at, um, you know, how all these teams play and how it all works out. And I think Alabama does the best job of preparing their players to going up against, you know, whether it's a pro-style team or a spread team, you know, are they going to run nickel, dime, you know, whatever it is. Um, You know, Thomas, I think the, the, the two best examples I can give is, you know, people thought that Southern Cal was going to give this team a test. And they were a, you know, a pro-style offense. And, you know, you saw how quickly they made mincemeat of that team. Um, then, you know, going up against the, the spread teams, um, you know, two weeks ago against Texas A&M, you know, was Trevor Knight going to, um, you know, was he going to fold or was it going to be, you know, the Trevor Knight against Oklahoma from, you know, two years ago in the Sugar Bowl? Um, you know, you saw how that played out. You know, it's Nick Saban. You're not going to get anything better than that. No, you're absolutely right there. And, uh, again, uh, as I've said a couple of times, talking to William Redfish Barger on the Sunbelt Tents Inflatable Hotline. You know, great, great conversation about Alabama, but – Fish, it's time to have a little bit of fun with this. I think we're both fairly confident about the Alabama-LSU game. We're going to play it forward, not just to the Iron Bowl, but to the SEC championship. And my question for you is, how ludicrously bad has the SEC East looked over the past couple of weeks? Well, I think you have to, uh, obviously, George is out. Um, You have to look at you know, all the dysfunctional things that have gone on with Tennessee. And I think that, you know, at this stage in the game, you know, the first week in November, that Kentucky is still involved in the conversation. Um, you have to look at that real hard and heavy. Uh, you know, that that's not something that's supposed to happen. Um, you know, Thomas, you know, you've got your own take on that. But um, I think still, you know, that November 19th matchup between LSU and Florida is going to dictate who um, the SEC West champion matches up with in in Atlanta. And I expect that to be Alabama. But, you know, that that uh, LSU-Florida matchup that was rescheduled because of the hurricane, uh, I don't agree with that at all. Well, I, I wasn't real crazy about it myself. I, I have to say that, you know, I, I'm from Mobile. I still live in Mobile, you know, down here. And hurricanes are no joke. I understand that LSU tried to do everything they could. But uh, I, I think it's really weak that they, they've kind of flipped out about it. And, well, now now they get a, a four-week gauntlet that I'm not sure has ever happened, at least in the SEC in my memory, in terms of who they're going to have to play back to back to back to back. But, but you know, you, you hit on one team, and I, I'm kind of – I hate to turn it into nothing sucks like a big orange back into this segment, but 
you know, have the you think the wheels have completely come off for Tennessee given the loss to South Carolina into the transfer from uh, by Jalen Hurd and that cryptic cough cough. It was about a FIFA game thing from King Kongbo. You know, what's your take on the Tennessee program? You know, from out from the outside looking in. Thomas, they're in big trouble. Um, you know, uh, if you go back and you look at the uh, um, the past that Jalen Hurd caught against Georgia back in September, um, where it looked like he was going to score, you know, real easily, and he got ear holed. Um, he got knocked slap out. Um, his mother is fixing to file a lawsuit against Tennessee for putting him back in the game um, despite the, the concussion protocol. Um, you know, I, I think the shine has – this is how this all works out, you know, in, in the big game plan of college football. You know, for a guy like Butch Jones, you know, if you want to recruit at an elite level, um, that that's real easy to do, you know, from a certain standpoint. But you've got to win in year two. So if you go out and you you know you acquire all these elite recruits, um, you you've got to kind of put up or shut up in year two, or they stop listening to you. And I think that's what happens. That's what's happened at Tennessee. Um, you know they're sick of Butch's you know BS, um, and and you know. It's great for Alabama fans, but, you know, this guy is, you know, off the reservation. Uh, You know, he's done some crazy stuff. And, you know, good for Alabama that we get to sit back and watch it unfold. But that program up there on Rocky Top is melting down as we speak. See, I hadn't heard about the the lawsuit that was about that that might be coming down the pipe. So, so just, this is crazy that I even get to ask this question about Tennessee. But you know, again, it's fun to bash Tennessee because, well, Alabama fans can. Does Butch Jones even retain his job by the end of the year? Yeah, I think he does, Thomas. Um, I think he gets one more year. But if it's not a, um, you know. If, if if it's not a 10-win year or if you don't go to the SEC championship, I think he's in big-time trouble. Um, and it's funny that you said that because um, I was at a gas station uh, Monday, and I was, you know, on the phone talking to somebody, and uh, I had some people up in front of me, and uh, – you know, I was, you know, sitting there talking. I was like, you know, hey, I don't like talking to people when I'm in the, you know, the line in the gas station. And all of a sudden I heard this, uh, you know, the two people in front of me were like, hey, have you heard about this uh, BAMS radio? And I, you know, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, okay. And they were like, hey, you know, they were Auburn fans. And uh, they were like, hey, have you heard about this, you know, BAM's radio deal? And, I, you know, as soon as I heard that, I hung up. And they were like, you know, hey, we got this, uh, uh, you know, these psycho BAMers. And uh, they got this guy named Redfish that talks to them. And 
you know, feeds them information and stuff. And I was, of course, once I heard that, I, you know, hung up. And uh, they were like, you know, this son of a bitch, uh, you know, he hates Auburn. He does this, he does that. And I was like, I got to call Thomas and Drew and tell them, you know, we're getting play in a damn go- uh, a, a BP golf station in Pelham, Alabama. This is fantastic. <laughs> Wow, that is that is not what I expected to hear. Getting you on the show tonight, <laughs> <laughs> and I hung up real quick to say, "Didn't you know?" Peg me for the guy that was doing the bad stuff. I, I'm having to mute my mic because I'm actually speechless and I'm you know laughing at the same time. <laughs> wow, that's just great. Hi, Auburn fans. Um, we need a rent check because the space that we uh, that we occupy in your head rents do just saying just saying guys yep but hey good good problem to have if you ask me you, you know fish it's getting near the end of our time so so you know, let's, let's just shift back to lsu one more time and just you know call it a night what's your score prediction for this game i know you've been saying two touchdowns but i'm gonna pin you down for a score Thomas, I honestly think it's going to be uh, 27 to 13. I mean, I'll take that all day, every day. Just, just, just and going back to a point you already made earlier in the show, if the uh, if if the second half afterburners that Alabama found a few years ago when Zach Mettenberger had to do his best, um, can't I've fallen and I can't get up impression on the football field. I'll take that Saturday night in Death Valley. But, you know, Redfish, I really appreciate you coming on with me this evening. It's been a fast, and it's only, it's, it's only been 50 minutes, so you get a little bit of time off tonight. But thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Thomas. Have a good evening. That was William Redfish Barger, as I chuckle over myself. That was a great, great first hour, 27-13, something like that, 24-13. That's a good good score. Good problem to have, if you ask me, if you're an Alabama fan. But we're going to take our one break a little bit early tonight. I know it's ten minutes early, but you know I need I need a breather from from running the, from running this thing. So we're going to take our five minute break. Listen to a little bit of uh, oh, let's see what looks good to play. What does look good to play? Oh, we'll listen to Dixieland Delight. Everybody uh, Everybody enjoys little Dixieland delight, but we will be back for hour number two with a couple little uh, little bits of audio. But we'll be back. Oh, before I leave, call us at seven one four five one zero three seven zero seven. Let's get your take on the LSU Bama game this upcoming Saturday. Spend my dollar 
on clover, red-tailed hawk, sitting on a limb, chubby old groundhog, croaking bullfrog, free as a feeling in the wind, homegrown country girl, gonna give me a whirl, on a Tennessee Saturday night, lucky as a seven. And we are back. I figured I'd cut our break just a little bit short because there's a whole bunch of audio that I want to get through so that everybody can get properly zoned in and ready for the LSU-Bama game this upcoming Saturday. But before I play any audio, I I want to encourage anyone, if they want to talk live on the air, give me a call at 714-510-3707. And I will desperately try to get you on, answer any questions. If you are just joining us at the end of the first hour, I will say that William Redfish Barger absolutely killed it. He, uh, you know, TLDR for people that missed it. Alabama's going to win by a couple touchdowns, and Alabama is quite, quite frankly, simply better on both sides of the ball than the LSU Tigers. Boy, that'll, uh, that'll rain on the Tigers parade, won't it? Oh, well, first world problems if you ask me. Anywho, we have an interview with Will Lowry. This is Will with Drew DeArmond from earlier this week. He was talking about his impressions, his memories of playing in Death Valley, as well as what Alabama fans should be looking for this Saturday. So here we go. Here is Drew with Will Lowry. Will, it's always good to have you back with us on Talking Ball. How are you this morning? Doing great, man. Enjoy being on with you guys. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I might have to cut out for a little early lunch after listening to that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, man, we hear you. And, and uh, Will, just to catch up with you, uh, I know you've been watching this Crimson Tide team week in and week out and, and how they're playing football and how they're evolving and developing. Uh, but you were you were someone that had to replace uh, a guy like Mark Barron who, who uh, got injured late uh, in the 2010 season. And, of course, you started in that Capital One Bowl route of, of Michigan State. Alabama now facing that situation losing Eddie Jackson, who was such a great football player, both as a safety uh, and as a punt returner. And now, of course, they're going to have to replace his leadership. But talk about kind of what the secondary is going to have to do to continue to play at a high level after losing such an outstanding player like Eddie Jackson. Yeah, it's going to be tough for them. Uh, You know, it's it's always tough when you have a guy go down that's a starter or or a significant contributor, but especially somebody, like you say, that – has so much leadership and, and authority uh, with the players, you know, and somebody that the, that the team really looks up to and uh, looks to for leadership on the field and off the field. Um, so, you know, just hate to see somebody like that go down. Um, it's been awesome to watch him play, and uh, fortunately he's got a lot of football left ahead of him at the next level, so it won't be the last we see of him. But 
Um, you know, also fortunately for the team, I mean, the guys that we've got around to step up are guys that, you know, we've, we've got plenty of guys that have contributed uh, this year on special teams and in the secondary. We've got guys that have contributed in the past. Uh, so we're not super light. You know, we've, we've got guys that uh, have that experience can step up and, you know, shouldn't shouldn't be too uh, overtaken by the big stage um, and obviously have proven their, their merit on the field with their play uh, in various situations. Um, but fortunately, this is just the way that you, the way that the program is set up and, and run. I mean, obviously, you want this with every every team, but uh, we do a really good job in Alabama of, of being ready for the next man up. You know, it's uh, like we say, I hate to see a guy go down, but you've got to be ready for the next man up uh, whenever this situation comes about. So um, I think that we'll be fine. Like like we're discussing, there's guys that have played, they've got experience back there. Um, Coach Saban's direct uh, position group, so. No shortage of, of coaching and uh, mentorship there uh, to get those guys ready. So uh, hopefully, won't see too much of a drop off outside of probably the biggest there would be punt returner. Uh, he just it was amazing the weapon that he turned into after not really being the go-to guy uh, back there returning punts at the beginning of the year. Um, and as, as far as you know, prepping the other guys, yeah, he's hurt. He won't be on the field, but. Uh, seeing the type, type of guy he is from the outside looking in, I certainly think that uh, we'll see Eddie out there. Uh, you'll see him in practice back there with the other DBs, getting them ready, uh, prepping them up during the week, uh, you know, getting ready for the game, and uh, certainly on the sideline and trying to help those guys as much as he can. And then the intangible part, the leadership, because Eddie seemed to be the alpha dog back there. Talking to Marlon Humphrey uh, after the uh, Texas A&M game, he talked about Eddie calling the players only meeting after the Arkansas game and saying, you know, guys, we got to pick it up, and basically saying that uh, Reuben and Eddie had been the two leaders and captains of that defense. Now that kind of has to be, uh, you know, someone else on the field has to pick up those responsibilities, perhaps uh, a Marlon Humphrey, but also a Minka Fitzpatrick. And, and your thoughts on Minka, you've seen him. He's been a great player at Alabama in his uh, just over a year and a half with the program, but he may end up sliding over to that free safety spot. Your thoughts on Minka sliding over? It'd be fun to watch. It's uh, always impressive to see somebody that can play multiple positions on the football field, uh, especially in the secondary. It's it's a lot tougher, I think, than people realize to play mm. safety and to play corner. I mean, they're completely different positions, even though they're considered, you know, both defensive back positions. I mean, at corner, you're on the outside. Uh, you're pretty much trying to match your guy. You've got to have the top end speed uh, more than anything else to keep up with the best athletes on the field. Um, and on top of that, Eddie can also, I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, Mika can also slide into the slot and guard the slot guys, which takes a little bit more awareness on the field and uh, ability to cover uh, a, a bigger variety of routes and also to offer more in run support uh, and set that edge in the, in the sub package. Um, but to be able to slide back and play safety on top of that is just uh, pretty, pretty amazing, honestly. I mean, his, his athleticism was never doubted, and to be honest, I mean, when he started as, as a freshman coming in like that uh, in the secondary, I, I've never seen anybody do that with Coach Saban before. So that immediately said a lot about him to me, uh, for Coach Saban to have that kind of trust in him right out of the gate like that. Um, it's, it's just an extremely difficult situation to come in as a true freshman in the secondary and learn the playbook and, and uh, not only learn it, but be able to, to uh, execute it at a high speed and at a high level and uh, not only to be able to execute it like that, but for the coaching staff, particularly Coach Saban, to have the confidence in you uh, to put you on the field in game situations to do it. So 
Uh, clearly, he is an extremely special player. Uh, he's proved that over time with his play. And, uh, you know, if, if, if they call on him to get back there and fill in and, and uh, have somebody slide in, a Tony Brown at this spot or whoever, uh, then, then definitely think that we're, we'll be in as good a shape as we can be in. Um, you know, I think that he'll be a, a first-rounder for sure when his time comes, and uh, probably in the upper half of the first round. You know, I mean, he's just got all the tools. Uh, he seems to have the work ethic, the leadership, the mentality, the maturity to handle uh, all kinds of situations, to uh, kind of be that guy, you know, that it takes to be that special of a player. Um, so would would love to see him back there. It, it would be awesome to watch him and, and see how he can adapt to the position. And um, you know, it's it's just going to be it's just going to be beneficial for him. I mean, the more tools and uh, positions that he can put in his repertoire and, and be able to to utilize on the field, you know, it makes us uh, a, a better defense too. I mean, with, with him on the field, you know, we can bring different guys in. We can shift our guys around in the secondary. Uh, it can kind of leave a, a bigger variety of, of uh, defensive packages that we can put in and bigger uh, play calling groups that we can put in and things that we could do in the secondary, um, you know, and, and as a defense to where the, the offense may not necessarily know exactly what we're going to be doing or what personnel we're in when he's on the field, uh, you know, with some other guys. So um, it, it'd be fun to watch. But like we say, I mean, I think there's a, there's plenty of guys back there that have the ability to step up. So, um, you know, I, I don't think we'll see too much of a drop-off in the secondary, maybe some shaky moments early, but uh, I, I think we should get settled in and be okay. And, Will, you, you uh, had, of course, took full advantage of your golden opportunity uh, when you were filling in for uh, the injured Mark Barron. Now Tony Brown, who has had a star-crossed career thus far, uh, he came in very uh, highly touted as a five-star, uh, has had his issues off the field, but now gets a golden opportunity in front of him to perhaps play a bigger role in this defense in the nickel package. Uh, you know, he's a very talented individual, but, it, you know, Coach Saban was talking about trust in his press conference yesterday when he's speaking to Tony Brown. And, and you more than uh, than most know uh, the biggest key to getting on the field for Alabama defensively is the, is you, the la- you can't make mental errors, and you've got to, the coaching staff has to trust you on the field. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, he's kind of had some uh, spotty situations here and there. And, and uh, you know, some things have happened with him over the years that are kind of, you know, make you scratch your head sometimes. And he's made plays sometimes where you're just, you know, hooping and hollering and, uh, you know, excited about his potential. So, um, like you say, getting another opportunity, that's, it's just great for him personally, uh, as well as for the team and, and for the people watching. You know, I mean, it's, it's an opportunity for him to really kind of redeem himself, bring himself full circle, come all the way back and uh, contribute to this team and, and uh, you know, put put the work in and the product on the field on Saturday uh, for his teammates and for himself um, to, to really make something happen. So, um, you know, I, I would love to see him take advantage of it. I hope that uh, kind of the offseason lessons they learned he's going to keep in, in mind and, and not let anything get to his head or lose sight of any of that. Uh, hopefully he's, he's learned his lesson and he'll be – ready to go and, and kind of keep his head down and, and uh, just play hard for his teammates and for himself and for everyone else. Um, and, you know, like we're saying, I mean, it shouldn't be any drop-off athletically. Obviously, there's there's no lack there. I mean, he's got all the tools uh, to succeed on the field. And, uh, you know, with, with us having two weeks here for him to kind of prep for that mentally and uh, in the film room and, and uh, getting ready for uh, LSU, I mean, it, it's, it's big for him and for the secondary. You know, we've had some extra time for those guys to kind of gel on the field and and uh, get used to the new rotation and the new personnel. So uh, all that's beneficial. You know, I think that given the situation uh, that we got put in with, with one of our top guys on the team, uh, certainly one of our best defenders and best defensive backs going down, 
the other uh, factors uh, surrounding the situation are probably as favorable as they could be for us. So, uh, you know, hopefully we can, uh, we'll see that uh, play to our advantage uh, this Saturday and through the rest of the year. And you played with some great players uh, on the defensive line, like Marcel Darius, uh, Courtney Upshaw, who were MVPs and have gone on to very productive uh, NFL careers. Uh, but from watching uh, up close, in person, and also uh, via the TV every week, in your mind, how good is Jonathan Allen? Well, you know, first you, you mentioned uh, Marcel Darius and uh, Courtney Upshaw and Dante and those guys. I mean, when I, with the, the game that I started in place of Mark Barron in, in the regular package, I mean, honestly, I didn't have to do much of anything. I mean, we had, you know, we had kind of underachieved that year. It was probably one of the most talented teams we've ever had at Alabama. We somehow managed to lose three games and never really seemed to get it together after uh, winning the championship the year before. And uh, had a lot of guys injured throughout the year. And, and uh, by the time we got to that Michigan State game, uh, Marcel had kind of gotten fully healed up, Courtney same way. And, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins back there, man, I don't, I don't know if he ever made it to his second read. I mean, he was, he had guys in the face for the first whistle. So they, they made my job easy. I didn't have to do much. But, uh, yeah, I mean, played with a lot of great guys. And, and uh, even watching all those guys, I mean, Jonathan Allen seems to be as good as any of them. I mean, he is a special, special player. I mean, the plays that you see him make, the athleticism that he shows on the field is just astounding. I mean, he, he's, you know, you see guys make really amazing plays and display athleticism, you know, in practice during the week or maybe randomly here or there. I mean, this guy's making plays every Saturday that just make your jaw drop. I mean, the Superman tackle, you know, the way he can pick the ball up and run it back like a, a linebacker, defensive back. I mean, he runs like a 225-pound guy. You'd never guess he's, you know, three bills. I mean, it's just amazing to see him play. Uh, it's, it's, and it's even more encouraging when you hear him speak after the game and, and uh, the way that his teammates and his coaches talk about him. Uh, just seems like a really great kid uh, with, with just the sky's the limit potential and uh, certainly a work ethic. You know, we've, we've discussed before uh, kind of the hype that was surrounding uh, this defense and, and especially him specifically uh, leading into the season. And uh, a lot of times with that, you know, you kind of worry about complacency. Uh, I don't think you see any of that with him or anybody else on the defense. I mean, these guys are hungry, and he's leading the way. Uh, he, he just continues to make amazing plays, game-changing plays, continues to lead the defense to do all this when everyone knows that he is, you know, he is who he is. I mean, he's going to be one of the top draft picks. and He's one of the best talented linemen in the country. I mean, he, he gets plenty of attention from the offensive line, and uh, quarterbacks know where he is before every snap, and he's still making those plays. So, um, you know, I'm glad that he's finally at least getting some mention uh, when the Heisman topic comes up because I, I think that if anybody at that position could ever merit it, I mean, the guy's scoring multiple touchdowns. He's getting sacked. He's making tackles behind the line of scrimmage. He's a leader. He's doing everything that he could be doing and more. So um, just a special, special guy. Fun to watch him. Uh, enjoy watching him and the guy, the rest of the guys on the front. And they are a, a really good group. Uh, they're hungry. They continue to want to uh, strive for excellence. You know, I mean, they just want to dominate everybody in front of them. You can see that. So uh, I think a little of that credit goes to Coach Pruitt, uh, kind of come being able to slide in and, and keep that mentality uh, from a championship-winning team is, is just so difficult to do because it's easy to get complacent uh, when you're winning and when you're being talked about, when you're number one all the time. Uh, it can start wearing on you. You know, that burden can it can get heavy. So uh, to see these guys continue carrying the torch and leading the way and not letting other teams bring the fight to them, but really taking the fight to the other guys, it's just exciting to watch. It's good football. And then, Will, uh, speaking of good football, 
Uh, Jalen Hurts has been amazing as a freshman. Now he and this offense get a chance to go against Dave Aranda and this LSU defense uh, uh, in Tiger Stadium. Uh, just your initial thoughts on how you see Jalen Hurts and this group mashing up with LSU. You know, to be honest, I don't have a clue. I mean, with, with weeks off like this, man, there's going to be so many wrinkles added on both sides. I mean, LSU always throws the kitchen sink at us every time we play them, uh, especially, uh, you know, with them being able to game plan for us. And same for us, uh, to game plan for them going into their stadium, you know, in a night game. I mean, Death Valley, that's, everybody knows that situation. I mean, it's going to be rocking. Uh, those uh, The LSU fans are going to be rocking. Uh, the Alabama fans are going to be rocking. It's just going to be an electric environment. So, uh, it's going to be fun to watch these uh, coaching staffs pit wits against each other and uh, see how the players execute. I know that was one thing Saban touched on, and he's exactly right. I mean, these kind of games, the athleticism across the board is pretty close. Uh, the ability of these guys, the level of play right now. I mean, LSU has, has gotten caught fire since Miles got fired and Ed Orgeron's leading the way for them. I mean, they just seem to be unstoppable right now. Clearly, we're playing as good as anybody in the country uh, and have for some time now. So, you know, all those things are kind of equal. It just comes down to execution throughout the course of the game. It'll be just a couple plays here or there that'll fit the balance of it. It was like that every year when we played them, except the national championship, I guess you could say. Uh, that was pretty one-sided. But, um, you know, for the most part, it's going to be pretty close across the board. There will be some trick plays. There will be some stuff that uh, both teams throw out there that the other hasn't seen. Uh, and it'll be fun to watch how they execute. And the, the good thing is, you know, if you're an Alabama fan at least, is just to have the comfort of, uh, we've already seen Jalen Hurts in some pretty difficult environments, difficult situations, and overcome adversity facing it head on. You know, so uh, I don't think that he'll be phased by the environment. I think he'll be ready to go, and he'll continue to play at the level he has. He's continued to improve throughout the course of the season, and uh, you know, gain more and more in confidence, and get uh, more and more uh, cohesion with his receivers. And uh, certainly love having our Darius Stewart back. Um, so, you know, it's just going to be a great game, man. This is what fall uh, college football in the SEC is all about. It's just going to be a lot of fun to watch, um, and these teams are going to be getting after it, man. There's going to be some, some slobber knockers out there. There's going to be some smack talk. It's going to have the, the run of the gamut of, of what you want to see on Saturday night. Were you a little surprised at the smack talk coming from Dwayne Thomas? Absolutely not. Those guys are always talking smack. I mean, you know, Coach Saban's rule about not talking to the other team is, is a good rule, um, it's, and it's right. You know, I mean, football is about beating the guy in front of you, beat him, help him up, go to the next play. Uh, but I can assure you that's not a rule at LSU. Those guys love to talk smack, and, you know, that's, that's not a bad thing. That's just a different style of play in the game. And uh, me personally, I didn't mind it. You know, I kind of like when somebody kind of gets up, it gets up in you. You know, I mean, it fires you up. You want to go right back at them. So uh, it just makes for a competitive, competitive environment like we're talking about. I mean, just the level of play and the competitiveness that there's going to be on the field is fun. I mean, LSU Alabama has turned into its own version of a, a, a semi-playoff national championship the last few years. Um, the game always has huge implications on the national title race. Um, and, and, you know, it's not lost on everybody. I mean, the game is always huge. Everybody's tuning in. And uh, it lives up to the hype. You know, it may not be the 70, 80 points scored you see out west or, or you know, from these uh, ACC teams, but – uh, if you can appreciate good defensive football and you can appreciate good front playing hard, trying to execute just to get that leverage, get that one block, get that head across, to get that last two yards, to get the first down, uh, it's a hard-fought battle every year we play these guys. And, uh, you know, they, they, they get up for the game. We get up for the game. Uh, there's a lot of smack talk going on the field. They love to 
run their mouths and, and you know, kind of they're a little bit of front runners in my opinion. You know, they, they, they'll they'll come out fired up. Uh, but if, we, if you hit them in the mouth and can, can jump on them early, you know, you can, you'll, you'll see them sometimes kind of back off, of, in, in my opinion. I guess I'm allowed to talk like this. I'm not a player, so. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's just an awesome game, man. It's just what football's about. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to watch the game and uh, see them get after it and compete. And then finally, Will, uh, I know you've seen both these teams play, and uh, you've watched Alabama evolve uh, into the number one team in the country right now. Uh, what what got, what chances do you give the Tide on Saturday night? Well, man, I, to be honest with you, uh, as long as in this time right now in the last few years, I mean, I, I think that we have, you know, over a 50% chance of winning every game we've played for a long time now. And I don't think that changes this Saturday. I mean, LSU's been playing at a really high level for the last few weeks. Uh, like we say, since Miles got fired, they've really stepped up their game. I don't know what it is. You know, they're, a, they're an emotional – program and their mm-hmm. players are just emotional guys so you know I don't know what it was that seemed to click the light on for them I and mean, I know that they you know for the most part it seemed like coach Miles was always adored by his players uh, but for whatever reason when he got shown the door I don't know if it kind of kicked their butts in gear letting them know you know that their jobs as starters or you know as, at the next level their projections may not uh, always be for sure or, or what it was the light seemed to click for him when he got uh, when he got fired and since Orgeron took it over so um, they've been playing at an extremely high level, but even still, I mean, I just see our, our team as a really, really solid unit. Um, I, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this defense plays against Leonard Fournette. I mean, last year I was expecting Fournette to get his yards to a certain degree. Uh, I thought we'd hold him over under 100, excuse me, but uh, I did not think that we would hold him to 18 yards or whatever he ended up with. I mean, that show was just incredible. I mean, to hold a player of that caliber mm-hmm. – to, uh, to to bottle him up like they did was was true great defensive football uh, by the by the on the calling side by the coaches and the game plan but also on the execution side he's just such a good athlete it doesn't matter if you have him dead to rights in the backfield he's so explosive and so strong so fast and so good that even in those situations he can make a play and, and bust out the gate and go 80 for a touchdown so for them to bottle him up like that last year was incredible now to see if they can do it two years in a row that's going to be fun to watch I mean. They got their work cut out for them. This guy's as good of a running back prospect as I think we've seen for quite some time. Um, and, and it's going to be a huge challenge for these guys to see if they can step up and, you know, vice versa on the other side of the ball. We've kind of turned a new leaf into a new era of offensive football with uh, Coach Kiffin to begin with. But then now with, with Jalen Hurts back there as a new weapon, basically a running back that can throw the ball to. Uh, it just changes your offensive identity and what we're able to do. So um, it's going to be fun to watch, but I certainly like our prospects. Absolutely. Well, Will, we certainly enjoy the conversation. It's been outstanding yet again. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, we look forward to catching up with you. Uh, in a few weeks. And that was Drew D. Armand with former Bama player Will Lowry. You know, Will, I think nip and tuck should be should be an inter- interesting take. I think I think the uh, the score predictions are certainly running the gamut. Uh, if you listen to my other show, the Alabama Scheme Team, I took. Alabama by one point, 21-20. I think it's going to be a heck of a football game. My co-host, Murph Baldwin, actually has LSU. So, you know, if you want to go give him some some ridiculousness on Twitter, I'm not going to stop you. But, you know, we have one more little bit of audio. I might close the show a little bit early because we're we're spinning down during hour number two. I think everybody is taking the proverbial deep breath before the plunge for this, this football game. So 
Let's get right into it. Let's hear from the LSU side of things. This is Chad Laborde of 104.5 down in Baton Rouge. He'll be talking. He talked with Drew earlier this week, and uh, he gave just a little preview of his take of the Alabama-LSU game. So here we go. And that is Chad Laborde. Chad, always great to catch up with you, my friend. How are you? Doing great today, Drew. Glad to be on. Absolutely, Chad. And I know uh, it's got to be getting electric in Baton Rouge. Everyone waiting for this game this weekend, Saturday night, Alabama and LSU, the next chapter in what has been the biggest rivalry in the SEC over the last decade. And just your kind of uh, thoughts uh, as we are counting down the hours now, really, just a couple of days until they do battle. But uh, what's your thought on uh, your thoughts on Ed Orgeron and what he's done with this program? I think thus far he's certainly done a fantastic job. I mean, anytime you get record-breaking offensive numbers against an SEC opponent and certainly hold the Ole Miss offense, who was doing pretty good, uh, you know, up to the point of when they played LSU, although defensively they started to kind of wear down just a little bit. But offensively, to hold them to like around, I want to say, 325 yards roughly, when, you know, Alabama, of course, they played them at a different time you know, gave up, what, somewhere in the upper 400-yard range, maybe close to 500. But nonetheless, Alabama's got better. That was the middle of September. So it's when you play these games, Drew, as you well know. I mean, you know, the Ole Miss team that Alabama played back in September could be different than the November squad. You know, the LSU team of September looks a heck of a lot different than the LSU team of late October. So it's, it's when you play, it's not so much when you lose a coach or a coach gets fired. Sometimes that does make a difference. But in normal circumstances, it's when you play. And it's how good a team gets between September 1 and November 15. And I'm just using that range as a, as a pretty wide range there. But it, it really holds true, I think, in a lot of, lot of senses when you look at you know, film from back then as opposed to now throughout each season. Yeah, and then I know – uh, this week leading up to the game, and uh, you retweeted it along your timeline, uh, that Paul Feinbaum has said that Ed Orgeron's success is an indictment on Les Miles. And, of course, you were critical of Les Miles. Many people were uh, because of the, the the program seemed to go stale under his leadership, and he did not change kind of with the times as Nick Saban has. And I think that was a, it stuck in the craw of many around the LSU program. Uh, but Ed Orgeron, uh, if, you, if you're talking about an interim coach and what he's done, he couldn't have done any better. I know the competition had maybe not hasn't been the greatest. Missouri's not having a great year. Uh, neither is Southern Miss is not having the kind of year they had a year ago. But at the same time, they were impressive against Ole Miss, who's been up and down, but is still very talented. There's no question about that. And they have, as you said, they they, they look like a different football team. Oh yes, and and the thing is. Defensively, Dave Aranda is doing what we thought he could do. I mean, you go back to the Wisconsin game, they looked sluggish in the first half. Second half, the defense looked that much better. And then it's gotten better each game all the way up to this point. Now, Dave Aranda's adjustments, I think, have gotten a lot quicker in in game. It's not just about halftime. That's part of it. He's made adjustments like he did down 10-0 in the first quarter to Ole Miss. I mean, who would have thought you'd have had those kind of adjustments done on the fly uh, you know, most most of the time, major adjustments come down at the half. So I'm glad to see that Aranda's scheme is starting to settle in more, and I think it's beneficial when you play a team like Alabama that you have to try to control a quarterback like Hurst, who certainly uh, has 
good arm, but has amazing feet, too. So I, I think that's going to be important. I also think offensively, Steve Ensminger has really come along well. I mean, it just goes to show you that not everyone on this staff was all in step with Les Miles' scheme other than Cam Cameron because he knew that in order to get the job and work for Les Miles, he had to, to more or less run the offense that Les Miles wanted to. He was the head coach. Well, now Ed Ogeron is, and Ed Ogeron is not going to hold Steve Ensminger or any coach back on the staff. He's going to let them do their thing. I think the one thing I've seen offensively, and, and look, they want to be aggressive. I get it. That's great. But you go back to the end of the first half of the old old Miss game, you know, Danny Etling dropping back the way he did deep in their own territory with just around a minute left in the half when you're already when you already have a lead and then end up giving away eight points to Ole Miss right before halftime because uh, you know he was blindsided by an Ole Miss defender and of course eight yards later you know Chad Kelly and the Rebs score and ends up being a tie ball game at the half when really it didn't feel like a tie ball game it felt like LSU was dominating for a quarter and a half up to that point so. You can't do that against Alabama. You can be as aggressive as you think, but you also have to be a little smart. And I think maybe that's something that Ed Ogeron probably makes sure he wouldn't do if that scenario would play out similarly in this ball game. But you got to look at Alabama from a whole, not just in that scenario, because they can score at any given point. And we've seen that. I mean, they're putting up a lot of points on defense. You would have thought that you know Jonathan Allen is a fullback instead of a of a defensive end or defensive tackle. So, uh, you know, when you look at Tim Williams and what he's done, I mean, I don't really feel confident enough, although I said the same thing about uh, Jadavian Clowney when he came to Baton Rouge when Josh Dworsic had to play left tackle, and for one night he played exceptionally well against uh, Clowney. But I don't feel comfortable enough to say that K.J. Malone can stop or contain Jonathan Allen. I can't feel comfortable to say that if Toby Weathersby starts at right tackle, that he can actually consistently contain the likes of Tim Williams. I mean, I just don't feel comfortable at this point. You have to show me. Now, they've done some good things. I feel maybe slightly more confident in Malone than I do Weathersby, but that doesn't say a lot. Uh, I really have to see how this is going to look come Saturday night because Danny Etling is going to have to get rid of the ball quick and I do mean quick, with short passes. It's not going to be, you know, sitting back there against the likes of Southern Miss or Ole Miss or whatever team prior that, you know, you're not going to have that kind of time against this defensive front for Alabama. And then, Chad, as far as wrinkles offensively, we might see from uh, Steve Ensminger uh, added to it for this game uh, or a big part of the game plan. I've already heard talk of, uh, as you said, getting rid of the ball quickly, short passing game, and 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 maybe uh, of course getting the ball to guys like Leonard Fournette and Darius Geis out in space. Yes, and I think you know you saw like the first series of the Ole Miss game, Geis and, and Fournette in the backfield together, something you'd never see with Les Miles. So it, it wasn't as telegraphed. You know, when you telegraph something, if you can call the play, I can call the play. You know, the guy selling popcorn can call the play. What do you think Nick Saban's team can do? You know what I mean? So there is that. And what you have to consider is going down the stretch is trying to mix up the plays and do different things on first down. It all starts on first down. And once you can figure that out, then 
you know, you got a chance to at least have some success moving the football. I'm just so impressed, and, and maybe I'm in the majority, which I believe I am. I'm very impressed with what Alabama's done, that it's hard for me to think that LSU can have a lot of success because the offensive line has been banged up. Now, it's going to be at its most healthy uh, part since fall camp starts, okay? The, everybody's supposed to be healthy 100%. You know, the bye week or weeks that they've had has certainly helped them rest. So you're going to have a very healthy offensive line, which is great. But at the end of the day, I don't know if that's going to be enough to, to hold off Alabama's defensive rush. And I, I was going to ask you that because I know early in the year you were not uh, confident in uh, the uh, offensive tackles, Malone and Weathersby at LSU and how they were playing. Uh, now Weathersby could be coming back to the lineup. He has been injured and, and out of it. Uh, but but – uh, to me, I, I agree with you. I would be a little nervous about a, a guy coming back off injury and having to handle someone like Jonathan Allen. Though anything can happen in one football game for 60 minutes, but I think Allen is the best defensive lineman in the country. And uh, I, to me, when you're just looking at it on paper, the game has to play itself out. But I think Alabama has the advantage when you're talking defensive line versus the LSU offensive line. No question. Uh, that's not even debatable. I mean, K.J. Malone has, has played every snap just about. The thing is, can he, you know, withstand a guy like Jonathan Allen? Because, you know, when, if you want to compare what Josh Dworzyk did in 2013 on a Saturday night in Tiger Stadium trying to hold up Jadavian Clowney, I think Jonathan Allen is a lot more disciplined than Jadavian Clowney ever was on any level. Um, you know, and that's a compliment to Allen because of, of his coach, of, you know, a coach that believes in a strong discipline mentality and physicality going into a matchup like this. I, I just think that, you know, the upper hand would be Jonathan Allen over a Jadavian Clowney if I had to pick between the two players and I was, you know, I had a professional team and I would beat him up. I would certainly like Jonathan Allen if they were both coming out of college at the same time. And I think K.J. Malone has the ability to maybe have a special night, but, you know, that, that, that's worth a cup of coffee and a, and a donut. I mean, at this point, all I've seen is, is what Jonathan Allen's done, and I've seen K.J. Malone against lesser talent uh, up to this point. Now, the next thing is, well, if the offensive line is skittish, can Leonard Fournette get more than 31 yards, which is what he had against Alabama a year ago? I say yes, because they'll mix the plays up. He can get 125, 150 yards and still lose, you know, the game or win the game. So it could go either way in terms of Fournette getting more. I think he should get more than 31 yards. The only way Geis would get 31 yards is if you don't see the ball enough. I think he could get, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 if, if Fournette's getting the bulk of the carries. But I do think even with that said that Alabama has the upper hand. I mean, you know, if Fournette came back with 200-plus yards rushing, I would be you know that that would I don't think would happen in this case. But all in all, I think the success of LSU is going to be dependent on a short passing game and mixing it up with the run. And if they can, you know, get Alabama, you know, in a, you know off their feet just a bit, I think they have a chance. But I, I do think you know Alabama offensively right now and defensively is hitting on all strides. Obviously, Eddie Jackson's a loss, but I do think that. You know, right now you still got Reuben Foster and, 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 you know, players like him 
including Allen and Tim Williams, that have just been outstanding thus far in terms of, of applying pressure and knowing when to blitz. And I just, I just cannot see LSU, even with the better offense they have, at doing much, you know, offensively considering what Alabama's bringing to the table right now. And they're getting better. And then, Chad, in order for LSU to win this game, what's the magic number, like, in your mind, I guess, as far as running the football and then as a team and then – Total offensive yards, you know, you have to. It's, it's a, you also have to be opportunistic, especially if the LSU defense can create some field position and turnovers. But it, what, what in your mind, how well do they have to move the ball to have a chance to win? I think Fournette's got to have at least 150 yards, and and he could get 150 yards and lose, but I think he has to definitely have that to have a chance at winning. And north of that, then you got a, You got a shot. Darius Dice has to probably get somewhere around 100 or more. You know, they have to be – and they they balance the carries pretty good with that Ogeron. So, I think, you know, obviously anything less than 100 yards, you know, Danny Etling is not going to be 450 yards past, okay? Mm-hmm. So, you know, their bread and butter is still a running game. They haven't reinvented the wheel just yet. Um, and then when you look at the passing game, I think, you know, he has to have something comparable as to what he had against Ole Miss. You know, very, you know, 17 of 27 – you know, 19 of 25, um, you know, somewhere in that, that area code was probably about, a, you know, 275 to 325 passing yards would certainly benefit them. But I think, you know, for LSU to do that, they're not only going to have to confuse Alabama, they're going to have to out-physical Alabama still. Now, if you're not predictable, yeah, you have a chance. But I just think Alabama, even without being predictable, is still too dominant for what, what's coming. I mean, you know, LSU's best bet would be to catch Alabama off of a turnover, which they rarely commit turnovers. You know, you have to really – and you have to, you have to, like Alabama has, take advantage of it. So you can't make mistakes, and you got to cause them to make mistakes. It's cliche, I know, reduce penalties, all that good stuff, but that's the shot LSU would have if they should pull off the upset. You know, and, and when I see Ohio State, who just came off of losing to Penn State, having the best chance at beating Alabama, and they would be a six-point underdog, what does that tell me? You know, I mean, it, it, it tells me that LSU is going to have a tough road ahead. Now, granted, that's on a neutral field, but nonetheless, you know, LSU is a seven-and-a-half-point underdog, you know, on, a, on their own home field, which is probably not so bad considering. Yeah, and then, Chad, uh, this this wide receiver group for LSU, they're trying to get more production out of it and have. They've spread the football around. They've also used the tight end. Uh, how do you see them matching up against the Alabama secondary? We talked about Eddie Jackson being out. Uh, for, you, a lot of people are speculating that Steve Insminger is going to formation Alabama and make sure they stay in the nickel to try to get Tony Brown on the field, who looks like he will play the star position uh, and be uh, a, a, a playing a much more prominent role than he has played. And in the past, he's been someone who's a talented player uh, but has been prone to mistakes and mental errors. Well, that, that's gonna that's something that LSU would have to take advantage of. Um I also think that, you know, Danny Etling has proven that he can he can do that, um, but against competition, not quite like what he's going to see on Saturday night. You know, my thing with Tony Brown, I mean, I remember when he had committed verbally, which, you know, obviously doesn't mean a heck of a lot these days, but, you know, I'm sure Alabama's seen that from time to time, too, and I, I hate to 
see a player that verbally commits and, and, and really stays true to commitment and backs out at the last minute and really doesn't let anybody know or give a, uh, any kind of reason as to why. I mean, I, I, that would be my son. I'd be very disappointed. But nonetheless, it is what it is. Uh, and Tony Brown obviously is, you know, a player that, you know, I don't think he's in the caliber of Eddie Jackson, but a player nonetheless that has a lot of speed and a lot of versatility. And if he plays discipline, we see with, with five-star players that Nick Saban coaches end up doing. I mean, they have great games. So, you know, Danny Etling is obviously a better quarterback than, you know, with better talent around him than what he had at Purdue. He doesn't have Zach Mettenberger's arm. He doesn't have Matt Flynn's ability or arm. But he can make decisions and feel the heat and get rid of the football. He just has to make some smart throws. I mean, you cannot turn the ball over and expect to win this game. Period. You know, and if you do, you better trade turnovers with him at a given point because that's about the only chance you have in a mistake situation. You got to play mistake free. But I think, I think certainly, um, you know, the secondary is something that LSU could exploit. Malachi Dupree has improved a little bit. Uh, obviously, Traven Durrell, I think, still looks good. I, I can't really say the receivers are, are to blame about anything at this point because they certainly have felt revived in this season thing or offense. So, um, you know, Deshaun Smith is a threat at tight end. He's not O.J. Howard, but he is a legitimate threat. And one thing of note, Deshaun Smith caught his first touchdown pass as a collegiate tight end against Jacksonville State. Now, Les Miles is still the coach. When do you think was the last time Deshaun Smith caught a touchdown pass prior to that? Senior year of high school? You're correct, in the high school state championship at Barb. Well, again, he played for Barb High School. So, you know, that's why Les Miles isn't here. The kid is a senior right now, and he didn't catch his first collegiate touchdown pass until four years he was into college, and truthfully probably could have gone pro because he was a four- or five-star you know, tight end coming out of high school. And you mean to tell me he doesn't catch his first touchdown pass because he's a senior in college when he could have opted for the draft? I mean, come on. You know, now is anybody wanting to defend Les Miles and LSU wanting to make the move that they made? And, and I know back in November people defended Les Miles. You don't see any, any national people defending that choice now, do you? No, you really don't. And then, and Chad, and then when you look at this, you look at this Alabama offense – it's 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 evolved and, and is more centric around the zone read and of course Jalen Hurts and his feet uh, and then uh, they, Damian Harris has been very productive at running back Joshua Jacobs of course and rightfully so Leonard Fournette coming off his career best performance and Darius Geis uh, did an outstanding job filling in for him they've gotten most of the buzz but this Alabama running game is versatile and very good uh, and these wide receivers have not been as involved lately but are talented OJ Howard coming off his best game with eight catches against Texas A&M. How do you see them uh, matching up with this uh, Dave Aranda defense that seems to be getting better every week? I think, I think you know, that's something that linebackers will have to be in, in really good coverage in that night to try to have a chance to contain or stop O.J. Howard. Kendall Beckwith has played great ball at middle linebacker, and I've really been surprised at Duke Riley. I mean, here's a three-star guy from John Curtis, that really at one point early on, you know, you said, man, is he just going to be a special teams guy, an occasional fill-in? He's come up, He's actually he had a, an interception against Ole Miss. He's actually played better in coverage since the Wisconsin game, the first game out this year. So he's really adapted very well and has said some very complimentary, 
complimentary things about Dave Aranda and the scheme in terms of being able to, to, to adjust on the fly and learn it and it'd be simplistic enough for him to get without having to read and react. He's reacting more than, than just reading. So I think, you know, that it goes to show you Dave Aranda has taken a guy that virtually, you know, probably Alabama would have passed on and maybe some other big schools that with three stars when you get a lot more fives and here he comes to LSU and now he's starting to play like a four star, you know. Uh, so in coverage, that's going to be important because you're going to need him. And I also think that, you know, Jamal Adams is going to have to take some chances, but of course play a little conservatively at times at safety. He certainly a big was a big get for the Tigers in that recruiting class with Fournette. And he's going to have to play his best game as well. So the one thing LSU doesn't have that they would like to have, I'm sure, is Ricky Jefferson, who's out for the year with a leg injury. Uh, they'll have John Battle playing probably most of those reps there at safety. And then you look at uh, you know Corey Thompson, who was a converted safety. Uh, he converted from safety to linebacker. He's out for the year and uh, had some play in time, but he's had injury issues ever since he walked on campus five years ago, and he just, I believe, got a medical red shirt, so he'll be back for his sixth year <laughs> next year. You have to feel sorry, you know, for the guy in a sense because it seems like every time he puts a uniform on and goes out, something goes wrong. But keep this in mind, too. Wes Miles' practices were very brutal, a lot of hard hitting, more than probably Nick Saban's practices, believe it or not. And a lot of injuries over the years came out of uh, camp and practices to players, even from with concussions, that they didn't get in game play. And that's not good because when you play an SEC schedule, you can't have a lot of injuries just from practice because you're practicing too hard. Ed Ogeron has lighter practices, more NFL-equipped, probably similar to Saban, but certainly a lot like Pete Carroll at USC in terms of not having those hard, strenuous practices and the physical beatness and brutality and, and playing a practice a little bit smarter and fresher so they can have four legs the entire – I mean, two legs and four quarters that are really fresh. And then, Chad, do you see an advantage uh, on either side, Alabama or LSU, from the special team standpoint? Well, without Eddie Jackson, I'd, I'd have to see how it shapes out. I'm sure they're going to have the next man up play well. LSU has improved in special teams. Bradley Dale Pivato is no longer assisting the linebackers. He is full, his full-time duty is special teams, period, bar none. Uh, once the kicker in the Missouri game on the opening kickoff kicked it out of bounds, Ed Ogeron was really upset, screaming, shouting, basically telling Bradley Dale Pivato shape it up now, and he has, and has done a tremendous job with his coverage and his returnability for Davius White, certainly a threat. Um, and I, I do think that, you know, you're going to see Dante Jackson maybe play a receiver role, a defensive back role, and a kick return role at some point. Not punt return, maybe, but kick return. Uh, Tredavious White has done a good job, but I do think Dante Jackson is one of the fastest guys on the team can make an impact and maybe bust one if given the opportunity, he certainly could be an impact player, and he's one to look out for, number one for LSU. And then finally, Chad, and we really appreciate the time. This is Chad Laborde uh, from 104.5 ESPN uh, with us uh, previewing this Alabama-LSU football game coming up Saturday night in Baton Rouge on CBS, 7 o'clock in Death Valley. Uh, Chad, you're just your overall thoughts on this matchup and your gut feeling. How do you see it turning out? 
My gut feeling, and I said it last night on the tailgate show, I think it's a 45-21 to 21 win for Alabama. I think LSU can score some touchdowns, but I just don't think that they're going to be able to hold Alabama back enough. I think if you make a mistake, you hiccup at any point, it could be costly. And I'm more concerned, not, a, not so much about the defensive line for LSU, but the offensive line. The offensive line is a major concern for me. And I just, it's nothing that Danny Atling can or cannot do. It's nothing that certainly Fournette and Geist can or cannot do. It's whether or not the offensive line could take what Alabama's going to bring out. It's, it's two exceptional ends. It's, it's linebackers that are extremely athletic. When you see what Foster, when you see what, uh, you know, the likes of, uh, of Jonathan Allen and certainly Tim Williams and, and the rest of the bunch bring to the table, you, you have to be respectful of that and at the same time realistic. And I do think that Alabama, you know, can not, it's not so much wearing out LSU's defensive line as much as wearing out LSU's offensive line. And I just think that could be the difference in the game. Maybe I'm, I'm going up a little too high here on the points, but I'm going to say Alabama 45-21. Very interesting pick, Chad, and no one knows the purple and gold better than you do. We always appreciate your time. Let everyone know about your Twitter feed and then, of course, where they can uh, read your stuff and, of course, hear you, my friend. BayouBengalTigers.com. We blog LSU stories. Check it out. Um, certainly read some fine authors from different sites that we blog. And, of course, you can go to Well, that was Chad Laborde talking to Drew D. Armand, 4521. That's a, that's a heck of a thing, if you ask me. But, guys, uh, I'm not getting any callers, and uh, I'll be honest, I've had a long week. So I'm going to leave you with that 4521 pick, and we will be back next week. More BAMS Radio. Hopefully Drew will be back with us. I will give a quick score update. He's covering the Alabama men's basketball game, the exhibition game against Faulkner. And based off the most recent tweet, Alabama is up 70-59 to 59 with 9.30 remaining in the game. So it looks like a decent start for season number two under Avery Johnson. Good news all around. But that's it for this episode of BAMS Radio. We'll be back next week. Thank you for to William Redfish Barger for our number one. And uh, tip of the hat to Drew for giving us that audio from Ted Laborde and Will Lowry. That's it for this episode. Good night and roll tide.